0: What's going on, guys? Today, I'm sitting down with uh, Nick Gloth, and we're going to be talking about exercise selection for muscle and strength. So first off, uh, thanks so much for, for jumping on the podcast, man. It's great to have you.
1: Thanks, man. Pleasure to be here.
0: Can you just give a little bit of an introduction for people who maybe aren't familiar with you and your background?
1: Sure. Uh, so I am a coach, and I'm an athlete myself. I am a bodybuilder by the actual Athletics that I'm trying to achieve at the moment. Powerlifting may be a thing that I do. I know that that's your thing. I'm kind of a little bit known as the bodybuilding guy that lifts heavy things. And so it's a little bit within my wheelhouse to cross over the two. I, as official credentials would go, uh, I have some like accreditations through like Prescript and all of those guys because I really support everything that they're doing and really enjoying the fact that they're putting out the stuff that they do. And I went to school for exercise science, got a double major, um, exercise science and kinesiology, and then minored in biology, worked in a biomechanics lab for a few years, doing some work with some rate of force production type studies. And really I've just been coaching for the last, well, this, this would be the first year out of school that I've done it as like a full-time gig, but I've been doing it for, I would say, probably like the last six years is really what I would give it. And I've been training for the last 12 now. And so that's really my formal background. And if there's any other specific questions on exactly what the the origins are of that, let me know.
0: No, man, that's great. And uh, yeah, Jordan, Jordan, those guys down there put out some really, really awesome content. I really like the the stuff they do as well. So that's awesome to hear. Um, So I just kind of wanted to couch the the conversation a couple sort of fundamentals, I guess, before we really get into the nitty-gritty, because I imagine this conversation is going to get pretty interesting and pretty detailed in the next little while. But uh, can you just kind of touch on some of the primary drivers of, of strength and hypertrophy? Obviously, they're a little bit separate, but I think a lot of that has kind of changed over the last couple of years with some of the emerging research, and then also just sort of like aligning with some of the... I guess changing ideologies about what's required for for muscle and strength.
1: Okay. Um, so for the way that I see it, and you can give me all of all of your view on it as well, because I would like I would like to hear this as a conversation. So getting to know exactly where you're at will help guide where that conversation goes for the both of us. We're gonna be sitting here for a while, so it's gonna be more productive to do that way anyway. Yeah, for sure. Let's do it. But sorry about that watch is going but the way that I see it the way that strength sports and bodybuilding have the intersection that they do at the moment is kind of thanks to a little bit of the over intellectualism that we've gotten ourselves handed into by over focusing on study rather than focusing on the actual lived experience of most of the people that do it well And so in recent years, which is much different from the way that it was really before the internet social media age came, as far as lifting is concerned, we went mostly off of what we could prove, but a lot of what we could prove was based off of what we could see generated directly in front of us with specific case studies that added up person after person after person year after year after year, and then created a whole generation of people that you can learn a general idea of what the principles that brought them to the end point that they got to, how it was that they did that. Now we've kind of like muddied the waters a little bit with exactly how we get to these endpoints that we feel are the almost like the already proven de facto reasons why everything works and how we go about trying to move forward and bring everybody to the same place through those. I think we've come into a little bit of an issue with kind of not learning exactly where we can weight all of the influences of the information that we get appropriately. And now some of the things that we would look at as determining mechanisms of how we get to those places get convoluted very easily. So I think the easiest thing to do when having a conversation Over what are the principles that actually bring people to a place that they're stronger in their larger and they're more proficient at movement than they were before. It's just going based off of, okay, what are the things that actually generally give us more strength? What are the things that give us better capacity to work through, uh, through the movements that we actually do that pre like create the result that we're looking to do. How is it that we generate the accrual of muscle tissue, which is all going to be based off of work. What work can you do? How well can you do it? How do you get better at doing more of it? Or when you're doing more of it, is that going to be a measure of how much volume of work is done or how much you could do within that work? How much force is getting produced within that distance? Now, those are as simple as you could make it. And then you could try and delineate it further into all the ways that you go about those and stack them into a program. But I think that is the major thing that needs to get said first that's really the basis of everything and if we don't start there then everything else gets way too out into the weeds and it doesn't have anywhere to start from
0: yeah no that definitely makes a lot of sense it was a couple of years ago I think where it really started I think to hit me where, where I was looking at all these people online and I mean I was a participant in this as well where we're you know, I have my perspective, and we kind of have conversations and stuff. This is more on Facebook, like I've deleted my Facebook a long time ago, because I was like, it's way too negative. Um, yeah. Yep. But uh, yeah, I, I just, the more that I was like, having these conversations, the more that I started seeing, there was just such a wide array of individuals who were jacked and strong, who had completely counter perspectives on what was required you know not not in the fundamentals but in the application you know yep. so I think a really easy way to look at that is like let's look at west Side versus Chico right two diametrically opposite approaches to to you know uh, strength training and then you can look at like the Dorian Yates style of training compare that to someone who's a lot more high volume and yep. and it's like I find it hard to believe that you know either of those camps are wrong you know since they both mm-hmm. produce like phenomenal athletes and and phenomenal bodybuilders but um and so yeah like I I started to kind of assume and it sounds like this is sort of where you're kind of headed anyways or or what you said but uh that it has a lot more to do with like the amount of effort that you're putting in and it's like if you can just work your ass off and not get injured and not get injured is a really important component because of everything that has to come with that Yep. then you're probably going to get as big and as strong as you can already get. And then how you go about doing that is, is, I mean, there's so much to that. Cause even like one of the things I've noticed lately actually has been um, <clears throat> let's say a set of leg press, you know, like how much can you get out of a set of leg press? Because I'll be going sometimes after maybe I I, I do, do deadlifts or something like that. And I just, yep. I just do one set and it's like, man, that set was really tough. But then mm-hmm. the next time I'm like, okay, can I go a little bit deeper? Can I, you know, not even so much like just how do you get more output, you know, mm-hmm. from, from that exercise? And I've been astonished at how much more I can push and get from a strength perspective, just from a single set. So not increasing volume, not increasing reps, but just week over week, just trying to push, push, push. And I'm not even talking about like progressive overload. I'm just trying to like, how can I get more output out of it, if that makes sense? You know? Yeah. And it's pretty crazy how much you can get out of a little so yeah
1: yeah you don't uh i think pull, pull it back to probably halfway through what you just said trying to get ourselves to figure out what we're doing it gets really hard to do with how much information that we get right now and back in the facebook days with it being exactly what that was like just people just kind of showing up doing what they do and then letting it be it's a little bit different now that it's an open market with a very low hurdle like barrier to entry for everybody to put out their own two cents yeah. and everyone's two cents is not worth the same yeah we've, like, kinda, we've gotten a little bit confused i think uh, as a general like fitness world of whose two cents is worth more
0: yeah that's a great point too there's almost like this assumed equivocality you know where it's like it's like my opinion is the same as your opinion it's like well you know, I don't know. It's you know, it's kind of like uh, when people were making fun of, and this was this was really, really actually apparent in the like the evidence based community or whatever. When I think it was Phil Heath who was saying that eating fish thinned your skin or whatever. Do you remember that? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes. And yeah.
0: everyone was like, "Oh, Phil Heath is an idiot," and I'm like, "Yeah, six time Mr. Olympia is a real fucking loser. Like he must not know what he's doing. Like, Are you kidding me? like exactly. Yeah. It's just, well, I don't know if he won six times. I, I think he did, but uh, but it's just like." <laughs> It's like, what are you talking about? This guy's like literally the pinnacle, and you're gonna try and pretend like he doesn't know a thing or two? Like, come on, man. Um, yep. And so, yeah, yep. I and it'll know
1: be okay. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, 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 you're you're good. I was done. Okay. All right. Cool. Um, but yeah, that's that's a hill that I will die on. Is making sure that we we make make it very clear the differences between like whose opinion is going to matter the most. Mm-hmm. Not to say that either of us have the end all be all opinion on anything whatsoever, yeah. but just to be able to look and not fall into the trap of the equivocality of anybody that can make an articulated opinion has the same weight to the words that they say. Like Phil Heath saying, eating fish thins the skin in a contest diet. Like, well, no, it doesn't by a physiological mechanism thin your skin. In the way that you would literally interpret that. But to your point, yeah, he is like the pinnacle of bodybuilding. Uh, he, he steps on stage, it is 100%. There's almost not a human being that has a chance to beat him. Mm-hmm. So, are you going to take the nugget of wisdom that's in there by the fact that you can take a diet a little bit further by just getting rid of the Extra fats and every all of the other calories that you're going to get from the same amount of protein that you're getting from that food choice, which is the purpose of having that food in the diet in the first place, reducing that down to fish, which has almost nothing but protein in it. Are you going to not get leaner? Is that not going to give you the better look and condition by the time that you're done? If that's needed for you, then yes, yes, so that's that's goes right back to the original thing that i said with the first monologue that i gave you mm-hmm. um with just looking towards all of the undercurrents of everything that we know where we think we know and seeing what it is that we actually decide is important is based off of the base principles of which it comes from yeah. it's not about just the direct application like you said like does eating fish thin the skin no But did it work for Phil Heath to be as good as he was? Yes. The reason that worked is because he actually knew what he was doing, whether or not he could articulate it in the way that it would make sense to all the nerd people that would want to dissect what he said literally. Did it work? Yes. Is the base principle that is behind that actually true? Yes. Just like strength training, trying to build tissue and everything else. It's always the same thing. It comes down to work. It's not always effort necessarily, even though effort is a prerequisite to making any of the other pieces work. It is the work itself as like a definition of physics. That work is what is going to bring you to the endpoint. How you put together the rest of the equation that builds into that work or like the equation of output itself, how you build all of the pieces into what is output is the way that you get to the end point. How you modulate the little pieces within it, push up the levers, down the levers, the accelerator pads, the brakes on each one of the pieces that lead you to the total that you can tolerate over broad time is how you're actually going to get to the end point. That base principle is there, no matter how detailed you want to be, how many times that you want to dissect it and pull it apart. All those things were present when we didn't know how to articulate any of them 40 years ago. But the people were still doing it. And so we're kind of at a crossroads now that I tend to I tend to bring up at almost every opportunity I have the chance to. And here's an opportunity to say it. It's just that we need to keep all for everybody that wants to actually search out information. It's not just trying to go out and search for more information to add more useless detail to the things that we already understand. The only useful information is information that actually helps you to understand what the base is well enough that you can apply it to the ends that we're going for in the first place. If yeah. having more information kneecaps you in any way, it's not useful information. And so we get a lot of it.
0: Yeah, it's it's almost like um, I had a conversation, actually, kind of like is is an exact example of, of what you're talking about, where, you know, Mike, uh, Mike Isertel, super smart dude, Jacked guy, like, you know, if you want to listen to someone, it's like, okay, he's super fucking smart, super fucking jacked. So I, I think he's a pretty decent resource, you know what I mean? Yep. And he talks about MRV, but then you get people who, kind of, I guess, will bastardize that and they'll be like, oh, you know, I I don't want to push it too much harder because of kind of reaching my MRV. And I'm like, dude, you're six foot two and like 190 pounds. Like, you're you're nowhere near your capacity. Like, what are you talking about? You know, and they'll keep pulling it back, and I'm like, now you're using it as a justification to uh, a justification for for poor work ethic and for you know not doing enough because you're like, oh, I'm concerned about this. Whereas like if you didn't even understand that concept or know about it, you'd be like, well, I feel good. Okay, I'm just going to keep yeah. going. You know? Yeah. Um, and so I guess we'll, we'll kind of digress a little bit, but that yeah, yeah. I, I really like a lot of the stuff that uh, you present and how it's kind of structured in this sort of like. Here's the philosophy of, of training, which is one of the reasons why I wanted you on here, because it was uh, a really interesting chat that you had with Paul on, on his podcast, actually. Um, and so one of the things that I wanted to touch on, I guess, was like specificity for, you know, I guess we'll just kind of blend hypertrophy and strength together a little bit. So let's just say like kind of like a hybrid type training or whatever um, yep. and kind of parse of details. But like specificity when it comes to that, because there's there's certain differences along that spectrum when you're looking at, like, are we trying to train muscle function? Are we trying to train muscle action? Do we have some sort of, like, motor skill deficit? Do we have, uh, you know, poor mind-muscle connection? Like, how do you go about differentiating each of those things when, when you're looking at, like, a, a program and, and working with an athlete?
1: So, always first in mind is what the actual objective goal is for the person and where they're starting from. So that kind of bends the definitions of what we need to be looking for, for everybody from that point, because each one of the definitions being as they are, the action of anything that we're trying to do is either going to be through the exercise that it is, or the movement that it is, or the specific action of a muscle that we're trying to work. That's going to change whether or not we're looking at it through either of those two lenses. And then what the action of the entire program altogether ends up doing is a function of all the parts and within smaller scope is just that the function of whatever we're doing is going to be divided by what it is that we're looking for for the entire system as it moves as a whole within a more complex movement pattern how smaller pieces to the greater whole work within smaller more isolated movements and how you can get those to function properly without using function within the same definition of function and then utilizing what you can as tools to hide from the person that you're trying to get to work, what you're trying to do to get them to gain better function and better control over systems they don't have an innate ability to control themselves, which is how we delineate what spot on a spectrum we actually need to start somebody with the goal of trying to gain strength or hypertrophy and what tools we end up using on them to get them to the end goal that they're trying to get to while knowing exactly where they start. Knowing where they start, if, they're, if I'm starting with you, you're pretty proficient at pretty much everything that you're doing. Your start point would be very, very different as far as what I'm going to define as the things that are necessary to bring up the action potential of what you're able to actually do within a movement itself, a singular muscle group, what the action of the full program as it moves from day one to day N is going to be. The function of each muscle that's going to be used throughout the whole process that is going to aid in the function, sorry, the action of what we're doing within any certain movement in the function of every one of those systems put together as all of the pieces of every single subsystem come together to do the, the final result. All of the pieces pulling apart into smaller ones, adding together into the bigger picture, starting with a person that has to be really regressed is really where this is going from. Everybody starts somewhere and somewhere on that spectrum is where you have to plant yourself to figure out where the start and end points will be for what exercises you use and how specific your question on specificity, how specific you need to be with what we're trying to achieve with that person in the moment. Giving somebody that cannot squat a full barbell squat is a bad idea is the first go to try and bring up their action potential within their quads. The ability for them to exert their action of bringing insertion to origin is not going to be great within that movement. You're not going to come even close to the maximum output that they could do, right? Bad place to start. They're not gonna have any control over all of the smaller subsystems that allow them to do that action which is the primary thing that is going to be bringing them through the movement. They don't have the ability to support that action working to its greatest potential already. Bad place to start. They're not going to, as a result of that, be able to produce any sort of amount of force, any amount of total loading, any amount of total output, quote unquote, that is going to bring them strength or hypertrophy to the greatest extent that they could. So Bringing it to operational terms, your question on specificity is just exactly who it is that we're looking at and what it is that we're trying to do. It's not really as much as a singular answer for any any human being that steps in front of you, even though we work with the same component parts. It's all about where they land on a regression progression scheme for any of the things that we have as a primary goal, right?
0: Yeah, and I think there's a really important delineation, too, because oftentimes, like, You know, you'll hear exercises um, like, oh, I really like the front squat for doing this. I really like this exercise for doing that. And I think there's a lot of validity to that. Like I do that. I'm sure you probably do that. Uh, But then, you know, that has to be predicated exactly like you're saying on the assumption that they actually can't execute that correctly. Um, Because the idea that like a a front squat is going to, or let's say an SSB squat is going to help correct that like chest fall pattern in in the, uh, in the squat. Mm -hmm. like well it will if they do it right but it'll exacerbate their bad habits if they do it wrong yes so so i i think that's a really really important distinction that you made because there are exercises that are kind of staples um, wherever you go online but again the the one thing that no one really talks about is like these are great exercises to fix this if you do it right (laughs) you know and if you have the the motor control to actually execute this if you're stable if you're you know if you have the the proprioceptive awareness and all that stuff. Um, So I really like how you kind of framed that. So when you are looking at the difference between like, let's say, well, actually, I guess before we get into that, um, can you just kind of touch on, because you alluded it to there for a second, can you touch on the difference between like an internally stabilized versus externally stabilized uh, movement and then how you like, what the benefits are for each, how you might progress them, how you might transition into something, let's say someone can't squat very effectively, but eventually you do want them squatting because it's going to be a fairly effective uh, method for them to build strength and muscle. How mm-hmm. might you go out of
1: that just in some hypothetical situation, let's say? Sure. So in a hypothetical situation that I have Jimmy that can't squat for anything, doesn't mean that he has a, a specific anatomical makeup that makes it impossible for him to squat, which is another thing that I, I need to make sure I bring up. Um, and just to say that to function over a bell curve, like most human human things do as a population, most people don't fall into the place where you literally cannot squat or bench or deadlift or literally any other movement, add in blank here. So just because this is a a public thing, like this is going to be a forum of people hearing, I need to say that. So anybody that is listening that may not be, that may think that they have a specific anatomical limitation, that they can't do something, you're very likely wrong. And it goes right back to exactly what you, you're you asking me as a question here. So it, it's relevant, but just want to make sure I cover that first, because I hear that way too often. And the component parts that allow you to or not to actually get yourself to progress into doing a movement, whether or not the end point on the progression regression scheme is going to be all the way up to a back squat or if it's pulled back to a safety squat or if it's even like some a hack squat or another machine type squat being the end of your like actual progressive scheme what you can actually do within the limitations of what your body has and gives you the ability to actually move from very 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 few people within like a normal healthy like Normal age range, we'll say that, normal injury profile, normal everything else aside from just their anatomy being in a certain way that doesn't allow them to do anything, that is a very specific limitation that a super, super, super tiny percent of people actually experience. And so anybody that is sitting here that is going to listen to to this and hear that, it's likely not you. So stop thinking that way already. And then just allow yourself to follow in the conversation that happens here. So, that you can think about ways that you can actually bring yourself on the regression to progression scheme to bring yourself into from more externalized patterns as what you're going to use as your bread and butter into internal uh, stabilized patterns that will allow you to maintain your ability to get proper output on externalized patterns, as well as bringing up your overall movement capacity everywhere else. So, major differences between what I see in externalized movements versus internalized stability movements. First of all is subcomponent parts of what their stability within those patterns are and how they get to there. For you to have any stability in a pattern already, you need to be mobile enough to be able to get there. That's number one. If you don't have the mobility to get there, you're not gonna be stable enough to do them. Your example of being on an SSB and then using that as like a corrective measure for somebody that has the chest fall on a squat pattern because they don't have their back up against the pad like on a hack squat, that'll just allow them to sit there and just move their legs. You put them on an SSB, they already have the chest fall. It, the thing itself already doubles down on the dysfunction so far that it's going to push you there if you don't have any control over what happens as the initial stem of the problem that brought that to be. If there's a queuing issue, sure, maybe using something like that can help maybe that is a progressive method and if you go through all the other steps towards it and you start to weed out the stemming issue of what it is that causes the chest fall maybe by the time you get to the ssb in a progression you may be able to get rid of that progressively as you move through doing it over periods of weeks and doing the learning necessary to to fight against that double down dysfunction you may be able to do that and replicate that on a further progression from there being a barbell squat of any type that is going to leverage you properly, right? So starting from on the spectrum of somebody that can't do that, and I'll use that specific example, somebody that has a chest fall on a squat pattern, they just, they tuck forward, they get good morninged a little bit. They don't have full control over what's happening. Like As soon as they go into the bottom of the squat, They don't have the awareness of being able to just get knee drive to start. They rely on having the hips shoot back, having to leverage themselves into their hip, start themselves with just pure hip extension, and then allow themselves to get up with just passive knee extension as they're trying to get their hips up. That giving them the chest fall, them having a little bit of spinal flexion if it's really that bad and the loading is heavy enough not having the appropriate tightness through all of the posterior chain above the hip to be able to keep them in line from everything from the straight line between their shoulders where the bar is all the way down to their hip, no anterior pressure from a brace that is able to be stable within that, that path and pattern that the hips are actually being stable enough to hold. You end up dropping it out of the bottom the rib cage can't stay in the position because the spine can't, because all the musculature surrounding it from the base at the hip, which is going to be the axis of movement for that person, for that movement isn't stable enough to hold it. Rib cage has to fall as a result because it's between that and the bar. All those things are present. That is just a long list of all the issues that happen from one stem. Just one. And now if we use something like an SSB as something to try and help fight that, that's obviously a losing strategy, like you said. You can't do that by putting in something that makes all of those things worse to fight a dysfunction that's already there for a a reason that was not related directly to the SSB being implemented, which is where starting somebody on a regressed pattern that doesn't require them to piece together all of the subcomponent systems in a way that allows them to work in concert enough that they can go through a pattern with proficiency. You use externalized patterns that somewhat mimic the same overall movement type. So for a squat, it would be knee extension, hip extension. Would be the actions we're looking at, the joint actions that would be requiring all of those other systems to be doing somewhat resembling the same job as what you would do on a squat, right? You put somebody on further regress patterns from an internal only stability being the end point of whatever barbell type squat or whatever free implement you have to work with and putting them onto something that's a little bit similar to that, but isn't internally uh, stabilized alone. There's actually a first, uh, this is an addition that I would put in more recently, because I've been a little bit more introduced to it, is more of a pendulum type squat that has almost all of the pieces free, except for what attaches to you at your shoulders. Like a Rogers pro squat, which is something that I've just recently been able to use. Something like that would be something pretty close as a regress pattern away from like an SSB or a back squat, front squat, any of those, that bridges the gap between that as a machine that stabilizes the path for you, but requires you to find it yourself and allows you to actually get the freedom, that in a Smith, to find where you need to be so that you can squat proficiently and not get good morning again or have the same issues happen. You wouldn't start there for somebody that has no ability to do that already on a fully internalized uh, stable pattern. You would start them further and further back. And I'm using it as a backwards example so that you can kind of figure for, not really for you, but for everybody else that would be listening, that if you're presenting with any issues that start from a deep stem, that you can't just fix with a change of a cue, you backtrack away from the thing that you know you definitely can't do. Backtrack through regressions towards the thing that is going to be likely to be your endpoint where you're proficient. If you don't have the ability to choose a path for your body to move, because you have a stemming issue that doesn't allow you to do anything with proficiency in an uh, only internal stabilized environment, you continue to make steps backwards to remove subsystems that allow that internal stability to function so that you work with such a small base of them and they're so regressed in their need, in their contribution, that it's much easier to manage. As far as you can go back is going all the way to like a leg extension, if you really wanted to take it that far. If you don't have the ability to do anything between a leg extension to a squat, you start at a leg extension. You need to find some sort of stable pattern. Stable pattern being something that you can lock yourself into, create internal stability within the confines of what external aid you get. Leg extension would be before something like a leg press. Leg press would follow into a hack squat or an altered hack or a pendulum. Then a more free squat like a Rogers Pro Squat or something like that. And then following into maybe even a Hatfield squat that you would put in between the SSB and then following into whether that would be before or after a front would be dependent on what your your availability into like actual leveraging and how you hold things would be for that individual. On this progression regression scheme with your specific example of a guy that can't do that squat, if his stemming issue is that he has absolutely no brace and control, none at all, he's going to have all those issues present. You can't create any tightness on the bottom of the squat. That's where the start, start of the issue will be right? If you don't have the ability to generate that on a free pattern, you regress it all the way back to something that almost forces you to be able to do so as a specific stem. What would almost force you to do that? A leg press. You can start there because it's reduced out your need to control where your hips go in space. Your need to set your feet into a stance that allow that force you to go through significant rotations and counter rotations through all of the joints in bones throughout the lower body, relative to the upper as it moves through space. You don't need to set yourself in a position to do that. You can set in a linear path, which is much easier to tolerate. If your mobility doesn't allow that, your leg press makes it really easy to do. It removes your need to figure out timing as much because it happens as a natural result of you being compressed into a pad. You figure out very easily, very quickly, that you need to breathe yourself large into the bottom of a leg press because you feel like you're going to get squished. It's an instinct. Your ability to generate the tightness in that is very well aided by the fact that you have something on the back of you and below you and something to hold on to that allows you that. You don't have to as easily, well, it's not going to be as difficult for you to generate that there as it would be if you have to figure out exactly how you have to push an intent into a bar on any sort of real bar, SSB even, how you have to push your arms forward or backward, where that's going to sit, how you create lat tightness while not allowing yourself to pull forward or pull backward to any great degree, how you set your hips relative to that, where your stance actually has to sit for you to maintain a somewhat similar torso angle the whole time, how you get yourself to leverage throughout the whole thing, how your breath timing moves, all the little pieces that end up adding up into what the overall need for the end movement on the progression scheme is, you can piece apart those little pieces, take them out as you're unable until you find exactly the pattern that actually works. And it's not really hard to do as long as you can kind of analyze on your own where the biggest pitfall is. And it leads you directly to the place that you need to be. It's a really good way to go through an index of what the needs are that you don't have. If you fail on a very specific movement but you have the ability to do others, there's a specific reason why. And that specific reason is going to be the one bridge that you need to get to the next. That could be aided with a regress pattern. You sit there for long enough to learn what that bridge is and you move yourself in. Quick, easy way to start getting those things to work is by allowing yourself the ability to get output large volumes large amount of loading a lot of exposure time within those regress patterns that give you that bridge but aiding yourself in building that bridge by building slowly the foundation underneath it with exposures small graded exposures to the same stimulus as what you're going to be doing in that final progress pattern or something even further along that has very little risk to you getting that exposure that allows you to learn how to bridge that gap effectively. If you don't have the ability to do an SSB, but you can leg press effectively, you can also get yourself to somewhat do a hack squat well or a pendulum-ish type squat that is still pretty stabilized. You have those capacities already. Maybe you take it to an SSB for small bouts of exposure for quote-unquote technique work, That is going to be so lesser loaded that you don't actually have to take yourself anywhere close to a failure point. It's not going to add very much to your output totals of what is going to damage your ability to progress on anything else. But it'll start giving you those teaching moments that bring you there. And those will be prioritized as something that you do when you're fresh. And that will help you to cue into everything that you need to do to follow in that and progress all the way up to making it an output movement. I'll end my monologue there. Yeah.
0: No, I, I think that was great, actually. And it, it's funny because today I actually posted um, a squat video. And this is the first time I've done a low bar squat or a low bar squat variations, a buffalo bar squat in several months because I'm currently working on some bracing pattern issues um, in my squat. And I have been doing like tempo squats, box squats with some specialty bars, things like that. And the amount of weight that I'm using was less than I would normally do on a front squat. But holy hell, was it ever hard? Like I just leave feeling destroyed because it was exacerbating those issues. Now it was to a point where I could still improve, but it was really challenging those weak points. And so I think one of the things that people, you know, tend to associate when they hear regression they, they tend to associate that word with, oh, it's not as effective. And it's like, no, 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 no. This is your maximal capacity at the moment. Mm-hmm. You know? So that's, it's, it's almost like looking at, you know, a 700 pound squatter versus a 300 pound squatter. And they're like, well, I want to squat 700 pounds. So I should just load that on the bar. And it's like, cool. Well, it's been nice knowing you, you know? right And, and there's not a whole lot of respect to, in terms of like how that guy got there. And, you know, it's like, what is your max capacity right now? And that's kind of where we need to start flirting and exploring a little bit in order to kind of progress. And so for me, that ended up being, you know, doing those tempo box squats, doing the SSB squats, doing things like that, that forced me to brace. You know, when you've got a six second eccentric and a two second pause at the bottom, your brace has to be so freaking tight. And I realized that actually it was funny because I was losing my breath halfway down because I was like, oh my God, like I hadn't been bracing. I've just Mm -hmm. been breathing, you know, and, and there's a big, big difference between those two. And um, yeah, it was, it was, it was really interesting to kind of see that and see how those regressions made my squat feel when I did yesterday. So even though I did it or Saturday or whatever, I did it Saturday and it felt different. It didn't feel very stable. I mean, I haven't done it in a while, so it's fine, but it moved really well. And I was like, Oh, shit. Okay, that's cool. I probably could have done that for like 10 or something like that, you know, which was nice. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, I that that's gonna have a fairly large translation to, you know, my squat in the next competition or whatever. Mm-hmm. But the, yeah, like, like you said, there's also this idea that you can't have a high output for something like that. And it's like, man, if you've ever taken a leg extension exercise to failure, holy hell, like, that's a religious experience, you get off. And you're like, I don't know if I can take a step forward like I can kind of stand with support but I don't know if I can move and remain standing (laughs) like (laughs) and it's 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 a lot it's a lot so um that was a really great explanation actually and I I think it kind of touches on um movement variability and the necessity of movement variability or, or or the value of movement variability not only when you're trying to improve your your motor skills and kind of potentially improve the scope of what it is that you can do and, and the number of tools you can access but then even also just for being able to get more out of each individual thing it's like mm-hmm. you know if you're doing a Hatfield squat are you just fucking around if you're doing a Bulgarian split squat are you just going in pumping out the reps and jumping away or are you leaving that one set being like oh my god I think I lost my soul somewhere you yep. know and, and that was kind of what I was talking about earlier, but like getting the most out of the leg press. And that was something that for me, I, I never really trained like that on my accessories until I met Paul and he, he, he cut my volume so much. Like I literally have, the last couple of weeks been doing one set of squats and one set of deadlifts, not even together, like one set of squats on my squat day. And that's the only squat that I do. And
1: mm-hmm. then I'll
0: do one set of leg press and maybe like one or two sets of Bulgarian split squats. And I had been getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And I'm like, holy shit, like th- this is a real thing, you know? And it's just funny to see how little you can do, but how hard you have to push and how much output you have to have for each individual set. And, yep. and I think that's something that a lot of people really don't appreciate. I mean, I sure didn't appreciate it until like, I don't know, seven or eight months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and so w- when you're looking at movement variability, what, what does that landscape look like? Like, how often? Or are you, because there's this idea like, we need to change exercises frequently or we right. shouldn't change exercises. So what does that look like for you when you're trying to sort of
1: implement different changes to to see better results for hypertrophy or strength? So to find anything on anybody, I mean, I'm going to, I can use an example of just how I would actually just program for someone. Already, you're going to ask for like what their history is so that you know what they're able to and not able to do, right? And then from that, we would have to decide like what is going to be a good benchmark spot on again a progression regression scheme of what movement do we think that would achieve this goal this movement goal or this muscular development goal one of the two either or depending on what part of the program you're looking at and for the reason why it's there starting at that what is going to be a pretty safe bet you can land the mat that's going to work most of everything that you're going to put somebody on is going to be a pretty close to a safe bet. And then I would go for maybe one or two Hail Marys and then a long shot or two. And then see where that lands them, And then figure out from there, because every single movement, everyone is going to have little breadcrumbs into every single other one, what you're going to see within the rest of them because we are just one system of interconnected systems that all work together to support one another as far as we would like to isolate things to specific muscle groups or specific movement patterns it doesn't really work that way in reality as much as it makes it easier for us to conceptualize it doesn't work like that so when we're looking at what variability within movement is going to look like and how we can optimize what somebody's doing within a program within any one period of time it's starting with all right, here's kind of a buckshot tactic of we're going to look if this is all going to work with already some information on where to aim. There it goes. There goes the shot. Then from there, okay, what was really off base? What does that tell me? Now, draw it back a little bit. Be like, okay, we saw that these specific issues presented on this specific movement where is that going to show its face again in all the other movement decisions that we've made already? Look to see if those artifacts are still present in all the rest of them. If they are or if they're not, we'll tell you a story on just how deep one of those quote unquote dysfunctions would be in where that addressing of that issue has to come from. And then you regress on the pattern that gave the issue the biggest presentation that gave you you know, the big kneecap On that specific movement but didn't give you the kneecap on the rest of them that required a similar prerequisite to do it and then you lean into those and you progress those up the path and you regress the others that would be the way that i would look at it primarily that makes sense and it's
0: um you kind of mentioned something too about like the breadcrumbs where you do an exercise and then you look at how that's actually being performed And that kind of gives you some sort of inclination as to like, what else might be effective, not just from like a, can they execute it, but then like what actual outcome are we measuring? And it's funny because I never used to really like leg press myself. Um, Mm. And I never really got anything out of it until I actually started learning how to brace a little bit more effectively. And then that allowed the leg press to actually have a much more, much higher like dynamic correspondence to the squat because now I can actually take the force production I'm generating in the leg press and it actually can carry over because it's not being limited by some sort of like, you know, lumbo-pelvic instability. And that, that's my case. And so, yeah, I think I think that's a really, really great explanation in terms of, you know, regression, progression, and then variability based on whatever sort of goals and or limitations an individual has. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the funny thing too is like, we haven't really mentioned like, Here's an exercise to train your lats a little bit better. Here's, you know what I mean? Yeah. A lot of it is just that fundamental stuff. And if you really understand that, then everything else just sort of falls into place. And it's, it's not necessarily as cut and dry. And it's not as like easy to understand or conceptualize necessarily. But then yeah. if you do due diligence and you kind of read it, you know, over and over and over again, you just kind of drill it. You start to sort of see like, you know, you're, you're talking, you consistently have these sort of patterns in how you're framing things, and I think that those types of patterns can be really, really helpful because again, it's those fundamentals, and so you kind of go back to, you know, should I do this? And it's like, well, what criteria do I need to check off? Does it yep. do this? Yes. Does it satisfy this? Yes. Does it satisfy this? Does it satisfy this? No. Okay, well, maybe I shouldn't toss it in there, even yep. though green does it. Maybe it's probably not going to be good for my situation. Yeah, you know, you kind of filter out a lot of those. Um, I don't want to say waste of time, but a lot of the things that probably aren't necessarily going to have the highest yield for your particular situation. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, that's awesome, man. And so um, when you're looking at, I guess I just kind of would like to to hear your thoughts on intensity and volume allocation. Obviously, it's highly individual. and I'm not necessarily looking for any recommendations, but just how you sort of conceptualize allocating those things For an individual, because like I said, I was astonished, and I'm still astonished. Even though like I understand it, it's still shocking to see that one top set of squats can get me stronger. You know, Mm -hmm.
1: like I get it, but I'm still astonished. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Um, so I can even start with just like for my own clientele, and this is something that you'll after going through that yourself, you probably implement on your own people and be like, hey. Let's let's try and see if you can work hard first and then find out what else happens after. That's how I decide my allocation of intensity versus the volume of doing it. So, okay, well, most people end up coming to me and they have way too much work that's getting done over just how many times they're doing it and not enough work within one defined space of time or one defined space of that repetition or set volume that is getting done for it to actually equate to the real result of output we're looking for. Work and output being a double overlay, work is the first thing that you need to look at as being something that's a prerequisite to having any sort of result happen whatsoever. But with your example, you were doing more work prior, before you dropped all the volume out, right? If you were to do it by math. Right, yeah more was getting done by work as a physics equation, but that's not everything. That's a start point that's required that there's a certain prerequisite of work that we pass by a threshold to get the result we're looking for in the end, strength and hypertrophy to happen. And then the overlay on top of it is the actual output that is generated throughout that work, which is gonna be different. You could have a higher work total by the physics definition, and not have a higher output total as somebody that had lesser work done. Exactly you, which is most people. Most people don't know how to actually put effort in to the degree that it's required for the actual amount of work by the physics definition again, to do anything for them. Because they're not even close to what the overall output potential of what any single movement of of their body is. One rep is where I start that scale. instead of looking at it as because it's really easy for us to quantify things by like sets. sets is like the the thing that we all look at as what really matters is like the additions of volume by sets. Repetitions, we kind of like leave that to be, you know it like kind of works into energy systems and all of the other little nuances with how we decide that, but we don't use the amount of reps done as the metric we're looking at for like how much work we get done over time. We look at sets primarily as what we look at to track what we're doing. I wouldn't really think that way because of all of those little pieces that add up to a full set of anything, a full session of anything, a full month of time putting in the work on a specific pattern of anything. Started at one rep, because just like you were explaining like this this whole way through, even with uh, the leg press example, or literally any other movement, you weren't getting everything out of it. Every singular rep that you were doing prior to having some of these like little learning moments, and little increases in just trying to realize like, what can I do better on this to make make me get more from this without having to make any other like, on paper changes to what was going on. You're not adding reps, you're not adding sets, you're not necessarily adding load. You're just figuring out, okay, how do I make this that much better that I get more from this right now without any other things happening? That is something that needs to be started at from one rep at a time. The proficiency that you get out of getting one rep done perfectly and accurately is gonna be so much more than you doing 50 of them with inaccuracy in doing them without all the effort that's necessary to get what you needed out of it. And so starting at one rep is the base of volume for me. And then from that point, you figure, okay, if you can get one person to do one movement with one quality rep, and you can add them up into a full set. If you get to the end of the first set and it does the job, you move on. You work into something else that is going to be another base for another action or function for the overall total goal of what bodily system we're working on, whether it's strength, whether it's growing tissue, what the actual goal is over that session, that week, that shorter block of time, longer block of time, whatever. What is the objective goal with this specific implementation of this one thing? If you've matched the need for that with one concerted effort and it's done, You don't be redundant with that now and just try to repeat it with something else that's slightly different. If you've already done the job, you've done the job. You move on and you address another subcomponent of the overall that is going to bring you closer to the overall end goal by the time that you get to the the elapsed time that you need to for the goal setting, which would be you going from one set of squat down to one set of Bulgarians or one set of deadlift on uh, on another day you're hitting different subcomponent parts of what your overall goal is of getting stronger and gaining tissue over the block of time that you're looking at this implementation for. Trying to build it off of that with any any client that I've ever had, there's been only a handful that I've ever gotten that came to me with an actual accurate overall proficiency in the movements they were already doing. And I can say that pretty much, I think there's zero people I've ever gotten, that I've gotten like videos of their their training and been like, okay, there's absolutely nothing I could ever tell you. You've got this. Never. And that goes off of the video of one set of one thing. How much potential is there for how many changes between every rep within that set? A ton. And then stack that over every set of every single day within that program from start to finish that on top of the fact that most people do end up showing up with another impediment being the fact that they think way too much about how much effort they're putting in and how close to their MRV they are or is this is this too much work am i putting in too too much effort am i going over my RIR is it like all of these other things that these, this over overintellectualized age which i know it kind of it's probably um a little bit two-sided coming from me because I talk in such a long, windy, convoluted way about everything, <laughs> but the, the over-intellectualism over what we do right now is such an impediment to especially newer lifters and even some like intermediate to somewhat advanced lifters in at least their training ages by the fact that we look at almost the, the pieces, parts that we get from the over-intellectualism is the pieces, parts it is the, okay, what is the the trick to getting this thing to happen, right? It's what exercise for, what is the best exercise for lats? What is the end-all be-all answer to how much range of motion is necessary for this or that thing? Like these, these over-intellectualized points that these lifters that I end up getting a lot of come to me with, become ingrained impediments to what they're actually able to do because they've got them so deep and they start to almost like build together on their own from aggregating all of this information over long periods of time. And it turns into its own framework of a systemic understanding of what's going on and how things are done, which is only just pieces parts without context behind the rest of the decisions on why that was the fact that was presented. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, 100%. And.
0: It, it's funny too, because one of the things you mentioned was, was like learning output. And I always notice that whenever I get a new client, someone, let's say someone who's maybe, whoops, for a knock off my computer. Um, yeah. it, let's say they're like a little bit more intermediate to advanced, kind of somewhere within that range. Um, usually when I get them, they're like, oh, uh, I'm used to doing a lot more volume. Are you sure about this? And I'm like, well, let's just start here and see what happens. And sure enough, they're getting a little stronger. And then I start pulling away a little bit more volume. They're like, oh, I don't know if we should be doing this. I'm like, well, we're still making progress at the same rates. And you're doing a little bit less, which means we're doing less damage. We're beating up your joints less. You can recover a little bit more effectively. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not necessarily going to be doing anything really beneficial by pulling by, by keeping it in. Right. Yep. And, you know, they'll eventually kind of start to stall off. Then I'm like, okay, now I want you to send me some uh videos of these two accessories that I send you you know because for the first part I'm usually mostly just focusing on like their their main movements right um and I found that when they do that really well that usually will translate into some of the accessories and so then you know I'll get them to send me some accessories every now and then um if things start slowing down or if I notice like a little bit of a change in pace progression mm-hmm. and then lo and behold you know I'll I'll program let's say uh, I don't know, a Bulgarian or something like that, maybe ipsilaterally loaded. And I'll say, you know, I want you to, to train and, or go until you have two reps left in the tank, you know, and I want you to select a load where you're going to reach that point between 10 and 12 reps on, a, on each side. And they'll be like, Oh man, why well, I was doing like, you know, this was really hard. And I was doing like one twenties or whatever. I'm like, but did you reach two RIR? And they're like, man, it was so tough. And I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did you reach two RIR? And they're like, I think so. And I'm like, I can tell you are about seven to eight reps away or seven to 10 mm-hmm. reps away from, from actual they RIR. They're like, no way. And I'm like, I want you to jump up to like, let's say 165, 170 pounds dumbbell. And they're like, I don't think I can do that. And I'm like, well, let's just try. And so they do that and they're fucking dying, but they do it. Yep. And I'm like, okay, how hard is that? And they're like, that was so tough. Oh my <laughs> God. Like that was way too much. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That means we can strip back a set. So instead of doing, you know, two or three sets, we only need to do one. Yeah. Know? And I still don't even think that that's actually at your capacity, mm-hmm. but we'll take a little bit of time to push up a little bit. And so you get used to completely obliterating yourself and recover. And I've actually found that contrary to what a lot of people seem to think pushing it really, really high intensities actually is much easier to recover from than yes. work, which, yeah. which, to me anyways, is a little bit surprising because you, you would think that there would be some sort of not equivocality, but you know, if you're replacing volume for intensity, there's, there's a different type of fatigue that you might be accumulating. And even though that's somewhat true, I, I still have sort of noticed that most people tend to do a little bit better with higher intensity than with more volume. Now, granted, that's very biased because the vast majority of my athletes are strength athletes. I do have a couple bodybuilders in there, but that's predominantly not what I coach Mm -hmm. Um, but it's just kind of interesting even to to see in practice right when you start getting people in there you start pulling things out slowly because in the beginning it's like you have to account for their lack of I don't want to say lack of work ethic but you have to account for the lack of output by adding in a little bit more volume sometimes and then as they start to catch up we can kind of shift those things you know and so we can pull back on the volume because their output is really really high like you said it's matching the amount of workload that they're actually pushing or the amount of work that they're actually doing from a reps and sets standpoint Mm -hmm. um and so yeah it's it's just kind of interesting to see that how that happens and
1: how much you can get out of a out of a freaking accessory exercise even as a strength wild yeah yeah it's the little missing pieces and that that's actually like i when I kind of get, yeah, I get like weird about it sometimes when people ask me like what I do or like where I sit within like the bodybuilding powerlifting type world. Like I'm kind of like a little bit awkward with my introductions always because <laughs> I'm always terrible at it. Um, like just like most of us, we hate talking about ourselves. But besides that point is just, I kind of fell into where I am and what I do with people based off of my own experiences and what I've seen in so many other people across decades now. I mean, I am not that old. Yeah. I'm Actually I'm 23, but oh, over three. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that I'm 33. Holy smokes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but with all of the information that we have access to, there's a lot of time and a lot of people, a lot of experiences, a lot of data that we can put together, to get an idea of what's really happening. be like, okay, well, we can pull together all of these little bits and pieces from the powerlifting world, strongman strength world, and the bodybuilding world. Be like, okay, maybe the, the far ends of both approaches are going to be so, so crazily different from one another that it just doesn't make sense to the point that they actually end up at kind of similar places by the end point, if they wanted to cross over and meet somewhere in the middle given a little bit of the washout period for them to actually reach the same middle point as they have to learn a little bit from one another to get there. And maybe their own limitations will like keep them from fully crossing into one another's uh, wheelhouse or not. You can kind of land at a similar position. The strongest people in the world are usually pretty jacked. Yeah. And then the most jacked people in the world are usually pretty strong. They just may not always express what they do in that way. And it's the same on both
0: sides. So funny, actually, because I remember Kai Green one time saying like, how much weight you lift doesn't matter, you know, and then like, right after he goes and does a a set of 10 with 500 pounds for squat. And I'm like, well, it does matter a little bit.
1: you Yeah, (laughs) yep. Yep. And then does like a drop set incline bench press with like 405. It's like, okay, all right. (laughs) So like, yeah, that's exactly to the point, though, like when in when I'm, in a position to try and like speak on both, I try to not make specific delineations between the two because I don't think that there should be one. In application, for sure, there's going to be very specific things that you do for one and not the other, mm-hmm. 100% true. But there's way too much of like an over-categorization and like we box things in too much when we sit ourselves into the camps of ex- expertise on bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength and all that, that makes it really hard for the conversation to like actually populate into one another for us to understand that, okay, as a bodybuilder, or like pretty far on the the spectrum into the bodybuilding specific world, you're gonna need a lot of the nuggets of wisdom that these people pretty far into the powerlifting and strength world have. What is it that powerlifters do? And this is me speaking to my bodybuilding people of which there's probably going to be very few that are listening to this from your own own following because they're probably not about that as much. But people within the bodybuilding world, what do they do is they do a lot of things for a lot of reps. A lot of work gets done. They do it for the purpose of trying to build tissue. Powerlifting, people do a lot of things, a lot less things. Higher amplitude of overall work in smaller bouts but they do it consistently long periods of time and get higher and higher amplitudes of stimulus from those things over time. Going from a bench press that's 200 pounds to whoever knows where that goes, right? Having that be what the power lifter does, are they gonna be able to bench, squat, deadlift really shittily for their entire career and actually progress? No, no. They have to be really good at owning all of the prerequisites that go into being able to do those movements extremely well and increasing their ability to do them over long periods of time. Bodybuilders kind of like put themselves into a bit of a realm where everything's kind of nebulous because we know that hypertrophy is such a general adaptation that it's kind of forgiving with how much you specify into doing it you can kind of throw like a hodgepodge of like a lot of things that cross a a threshold of stimulus and and still get there. You're still going to get that to happen. Whether it's all that you could get or not is a different question, but you're still going to get it. And to that point, you can't necessarily say when looking at a specific example, well, if you did it this way, you probably would have got more by the end of whenever somebody did it, because how are you gonna prove that? You don't have two of the same person within the same timeline of their life doing the exact same, everything with one variable changed. Like we don't have that data available, so you can't say that with any like definitive proof of anything. But those bodybuilders live in this world that because it's so nebulous with what we we have to nail down as what the best approach is, or how good we are at any one thing, because we're not tied to doing squat bench deadlift like a power lifter is, if you suck at any movement for whatever reason it is, you're just like, oh, I'll just do this other 30 other examples of pretty much a similar thing that'll get me the muscular goal that doesn't have any of the other requirements that doing the full movement would be, which to a point that's going off of like the progression regression spectrum, which makes sense, but it's not as calculated as going in progression, regression. It's just going, "Uh, I like this because I could do this. I don't like the rest of these because I can't do them. Not knowing exactly why, Yeah, powerlifters in their world have to figure out why, and they do. And then they build their proficiency within the movements and gain those little nuggets of wisdom over time to be able to do those same things really 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 well and do them better over time bodybuilders don't do that what would make bodybuilders better if they did that <laughs> simple like having the big delineations in what we go about like for the actual application makes some sense because the endpoints are different but in the same central thrust of all of it it's all supposed to be how are we getting better at this specific thing and what is the best way to the end result it gets really windy and crazy on the bodybuilding world as general principles that get you there though. I mean, I can definitely see how
0: you could utilize movement variability to sort of subvert skill acquisition in a more dynamic sense. So for those bigger compound movements, like an RDL or something like that, that, I mean, as much as people want to say like volume, 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 like when you look at a power lifter, (laughs) And you look at a bodybuilder and you look at like both of their makeups. It's like the bodybuilder's bigger legs, bigger arms, bigger chest, bigger everything. But Mm -hmm. you look at a powerlifter's back and it looks like a fucking mountain. Like any big powerlifter has a monstrous back. And it's Mm -hmm. like, a lot of that is just from squatting and deadlifting. Mm -hmm. Like they, in my experience, they don't do enough volume on like lap downs or rows to really account for all of that growth. And so it's like, I definitely think there's a component of you know load that you just can't necessarily get when you're limiting yourself to a pendulum squat or something like that I think and that's not knocking any of that I just it's like it's it's literally it's a tool Mm -hmm. but I think there's you know like different utilizations of different tools at different times so yeah I can definitely see and again you know I, I deal with bodybuilders outside of contest prep so I don't do any contest prep specific stuff I get people jacked and then I get other people to you know, they have their, like, contest prep coach who does their diet, who does their, like, uh, their, their water cut and all that stuff, just because it's not in my wheelhouse, and I don't really have a huge interest in that sort of stuff. I just yeah. like getting people big and strong, but then the uh, the contest stuff is, is sort of out of my wheelhouse. And so it's, uh, it's yeah, I can, I can kind of see how that might be somewhat of a, a bit of a crutch in in that community, but that's interesting. I've never actually really thought of that before.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's a big-time issue. <laughs>
0: So we're running up on uh, a little over an hour now and I want to be respectful of your
1: time. So um, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram is really where just about everything is is for me. Uh, just my name, Nick Gloff. It's all just one word, all lowercase, pretty easy. So I've got everything that you would need to find of me there. And then obviously with little appearances like doing things like this, you can find through guys like you. So that's just about that's everything. So all
0: that stuff's going to be linked up in the show notes. Make sure you go check out his uh, his Instagram. He puts out a ton of great content and read the captions, man. They're really, really great. I really enjoy them anyways. Um, they're very well thought out, very well articulated, and uh, they'll they'll help you get strong. And so you can stop being such a weak, skinny little bitch. No, I'm just joking, guys. <laughs> all right, Nick, thank you so much for jumping on, man. It was a really, really awesome conversation. Well, thank you for having me.